One guest, 10 songs, 10 reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. My guest on this edition of Music Was My First Love is the son of Paul Talbot in South Wales, who in 1997 was a finalist of the BBC New Comedy Awards alongside Peter Kay. He's a previous winner of the BBC Wales New Writers Award and the TAPS Comedy Writer of the Year Award. He's written various BBC radio series and also written material for the likes of Hale and Pace, Freddie Starr, The Real McCoy, Jack Whitehall, The Eleven O'Clock Show and much more besides. He's also written situation comedies including Ed Stone is Dead and Sam's Game. He's been described as genuinely original and funny by The Times and one of the best on the circuit, a Welsh Senfield by The Guardian. I'm talking about writer and stand-up comedian Bennett Aron, and we'll hear from Bennett after his first choice from Blondie. Bennett Aron, welcome to Radio Glamorgan and Music Was My First Love. Much lovely to be here. Writer first or stand-up comedian? Oh, writer first. Yeah. Writing, writing got me into stand-up, really. I, I used to write sketches for, um, for TV and send them in uh, on spec for, as you mentioned earlier, people like Freddie Starr and Hayden Pace. And it was all, it was great. It was when you could send stuff in and if people liked it, they'd buy them off you. And I remember writing something that I thought was really funny and the producer saying, no. And I went, oh, actually, I think this is funny. And he said, yeah, well, it's not. What else have you got? And it played on me. I thought it was funny. And I thought the only way I could find out if it was funny was to try it out myself. And that's the only reason I got to the stand oh, right. just to prove, yeah. to prove that that was funny. Tell me about your first choice, uh, Heart of Glass. A lot of these are to do with the era and different things at different points of my life. And Heart of Glass wouldn't have been far off when you and I first met-ish, I guess. It was something when I when I joined a, uh, a group in Cardiff, and this was the song that one of them used to play on a regular basis when we go back to his house afterwards. And um, he was a massive Blondie and Debbie Harry fan with posters everywhere. And so it brings back nice memories. And was there music and radio growing up at home? Yeah, there was always uh, always radio at home. My mum is a big Elvis Presley fan, so we'd always have that. And my dad loved jazz music, so there was yeah, we had records playing probably more than more than radio, to be honest. But um, yeah, there was always music. Your next choice is an '80s classic from New Order. Tell me about Blue Monday. Uh, again, to do with a stage of my life. This is when I left Wales to go and live in the dizzy heights of London. And this track came out and I met a lot of people at parties and different things. And this is one of the tracks that I used to dance to on a regular basis. Now, Bennett, when you and I first met, you touched on it briefly, you, me and your brother Jonathan, 40 years ago, if memory serves, it was Jonathan who was the funny one. And for what I remember, destined for big things in the entertainment world with, I seem to remember, a brilliant Frank Spencer impression. Uh, but 40 years on, he's an estate agent and you're the comedian. So how did comedy writing and performing come your way? 
I don't. He still is the funnier one. And whenever we meet up with people, they always assume that he's the comedian because he's much more outgoing and generally funnier than I am. Um, but no, as you say, he's a very, um, very successful estate agent in uh, in Maida Vale and doing very well. And I am a comedian. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. And when school friends like on Facebook and what have you find me and chat about what I'm doing for a living, nobody can believe it because I was one of the most shy people you could be. I still am. I would prefer to go up on stage in front of thousands of people than go to a party. I absolutely can't bear meeting people. I'm, I'm incredibly shy, yet on stage I'm fine. No, I can't explain it, to be honest. And who are your comedy heroes and influences? Well, I think growing up, a uh, big fan of the two Ronnies, as uh, as you might know, also uh, Morkman Wise, Tommy Cooper, people of that ilk. Really, yeah. Those are the people that I used to watch and laugh at. Rather than, I mean, I mean, you touched the the writing came before stand up, but those sort of people rather than the stand ups. Yeah, I can't think. Yeah, sort of stand ups per se of the era, apart from Bob Munkers, who was genius. Yeah. Uh, actual stand ups, I really wasn't that taken by. It was more people who could deliver funny lines than people who did just jokes that were primarily written by other people. Yeah. For your third choice, you could have chosen any BG track, so any particular reason for You Should Be Dancing? I wasn't all that popular uh, in school, to be honest. And, you know, I was a short, fat, dumpy kid, and people picked on me being Welsh, which was weird in a school in Patalbert. I think it was just an excuse. And then I discovered in the 70s that I had a talent and I could dance don't know where it came from and um, I started dancing and then I learned all the moves to every track um, from Saturday Night Fever and You Should Be Dancing was one of the ones that I did at the time do the best Aaron's third choice on this edition of music was my first love, the Bee Gees' You Should Be Dancing. I mentioned a few people that you'd written for, such as uh, Freddie Starr and Jack Whitehall, and you were saying at the beginning it was a question of you just sent jokes off, but does that still happen, or is it a question of being hired to, to join a writing team or to write for someone? I know there are very, very few opportunities now where uh, a new writer can just send in stuff. I think there's something on the BBC called Newsjack on, on the radio. I think that's probably the only thing that new writers can send in uh, on spec without it going via an agent or without being commissioned. But I don't think there's anything else. It's, it's, all, it's all changed now. And a lot of people, of course, write their own stuff. A lot of comedians nowadays write their own stuff, so there isn't as much call as there was when I, when I first started. And is the process of writing for stand-up different to writing a sitcom? Yeah. The people that I write for, and I do write for a lot of stand-ups still, especially if they're on panel shows like Have I Got News For You, yeah. um, Mock The Week, things like that. They'll come to me and ask me to write material for them. So you've got to write for a specific, a specific voice. And a lot of people over the years I've written for who all have different voices, so I find it uh, easier to write for them. As long as you know them, then it's, I find it easier to write for the way they speak. Next up, uh, you've chosen Eternal Flame from the Bangles. This was actually quite, quite romantic, really. This oh. is one of the songs that, uh, yeah, that my, my wife and I liked, and it's on our wedding video, which is very sweet, which was, uh, which was shot in Spain. Right. My wife is Spanish. Oh, OK. And you got married out there? 
we got well, we bizarrely we got married twice. We got married in in America first, just the two of us, and then sort of went on honeymoon to um, Hawaii, Las Vegas. We were living out there for for three months. Once I tried to pursue a career as a, a writer in the states, <laughs> so then came back three months later with, <laughs> with that having failed. Uh, but we did get married when we were out there in in Hollywood, and then went on honeymoon, and then came back and had a big family wedding in Spain, which was lovely. And this is one of the tracks on the video. Choice Bennett is a favourite of mine, actually. Goody Two Shoes from Adamant. Revisiting uh, your teenage years? To an extent, yeah. It is again something that I used to dance to. It, it was one of the disco songs. Every Saturday night, we go to the same disco, be the same music, and this would be one of the tracks. So it brings back great memories of of doing that and uh, and losing weight through dancing. <laughs> now I know what the secret is. Thank you. <laughs> Something You're listening to another edition of Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love with comedian and writer Bennett Aaron choosing ten of his favourite songs. One of the reasons that I love that, uh, that song is that I wrote a sitcom script and it won a competition and... I had to choose a piece of music that went with it, and I chose that as the opening title track for it. And it was just great. It was great to perform in it, and it was great to hear the music. Unfortunately, it didn't get picked up, but it still brings back nice memories when I hear it, and sad ones that it didn't get picked up. <laughs> Tell me how, in 1998, you were the victim of identity theft, which... You have in many ways made a career out of talking and, and the documentary you made and writing about it. Yeah, it's such a, a weird thing that that I got into. I, yeah, I became the first major victim of identity theft in the UK. Woohoo! That's what the police uh, told what? you, yeah? That's what, the, yeah. that's what the police told me. Yeah. Um, because at the time, it was unheard of. People didn't know about identity theft. They knew a bit about fraud, but personal identity theft. It had happened to companies, but never to a person on such a, a, a big level, I guess. And what happened? We were, we were hoping to buy a house. And, well, we saw a house. We put an offer on it. Everything was going well. And then a couple of, couple of weeks in, when we thought everything was fine, we had a letter from the bank saying that our mortgage was suddenly being stopped because of all our or all my outstanding debts and I looked into it and somebody had opened up several accounts in my names with banks credit card companies mobile phones run up thousands and thousands of pounds in my name and gave me a zero credit rating and I couldn't do anything for the next two years and it was uh, and my wife was pregnant at the time and we, yeah we ended up having no money and having to move in with my parents it was it was all pretty stressful and then, years later, for, I don't know, for some cathartic reason, I wrote a show about it, uh, took it to the Edinburgh Festival, it did very well, and on the back of that I was approached by Channel 4 and asked to make a documentary on the subject, which I did, and in which I rather foolishly stole hmm. the identity of the Home Secretary, which, uh, in hindsight, wasn't the cleverest of things to do. But you, you, it was, uh, you had a serious fear of being arrested yourself making that documentary. Yeah, well, I was, I was um, arrested in a dawn raid by Scotland Yard, uh, eventually, for, um, 
for stealing the identity of the Home Secretary. Apparently, you're not meant to do that. Um, not wise. <laughs> no. So I now I now tour the world talking about uh, fraud and identity theft and warning people and uh, how to stop it from happening to them. And I talk at big conferences. I wrote a book called Heard the One About Identity Theft, which tells the story of what happened to me and you know how I ended up making the documentary. So it is. It's a sideline that I, I wasn't expecting. I, I'm the only identity theft comedian in the world as far as I know that's something for your CV <laughs> yeah, you were uh, I hope it stays that way. <laughs> you went through because I watched the documentary a couple of weeks ago you went through some terrible times and, and chose not to tell the two people who would want to help you more than anyone and that's your parents and although you weren't on your own and you had your wife it's a difficult thing to deal with on your own in debt bad credit never mind terrible times there must have been some awful dark days What's happened now, uh, a lot of it as a result, funny enough, of what happened to me, because I've spoken to like credit reference agencies and banks and, and people like that, and they now have a system where they help people, where they can give advice, somewhere that people can turn to. And, uh, you know, it, it's awful, yeah, I mean, it's horrible and upsetting and devastating that it happened to me, but I'm pleased in some way that as a result of it, things are happening now, that, that things have been put into place that can help people so that they don't feel alone. I was completely, I mean, completely hmm. alone trying to sort out everything. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, it, when I look back on it, uh, there are moments that still bring back, you know, sad and um, frightening memories, really. And they obviously never caught the person or people. No, but, you know, any day now, uh, no. I, I handed over all the details to the police, the person's name, the person's address, a description, but nothing sadly was done. You're listening to Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love with comedy writer, actor and comedian Bennett Aaron choosing ten of his favourite songs. And your next choice, Bennett, is an absolute classic from the pen of Paul Simon. Tell me about Sound of Silence. This song, there was a friend of mine in school called Richard who was a massive fan of Simon and Garfunkel and I'd never heard of them, but he was absolutely besought. I went round to his house once and he played me this track and it was like something I'd never heard before and it was just... It was such a beautiful, moving song that it's stuck in my mind to this day. Sounds of silence. One of the projects I know that you're very proud of and put a lot of work into are the sitcom writing workshops. How did these come about? What happened was, because I do a lot of sitcom writing and have done for many years, when I'm doing gigs... A lot of comedians in the green room will talk to me about it and, and ask for advice, and I'd explain to them how to do it, and then they'd call me and I'd go through it, and then I thought, do you know what, I'm doing this quite often. Maybe I can try and monetize it. So hmm. um, I, I did one, and it was for four weeks, just uh, two hours two hours a day for, for four weeks, and it sold out and people loved it. And then somebody won an award on the back of it, and it carried on and carried on. And I've now taught... Wow, it's got to be close to a 1,000 people, I guess. So when you say somebody won an award, they, they had something from from that workshop, they wrote something that got commissioned? Uh, they wrote something that won a... Uh, it's called the BAFTA Rockliffe Writing Award for right. writers. Um, they won that and somebody else won a, a Los Angeles Film Award for a script that they wrote um, after doing my workshop. Somebody else had a Radio 4 sitcom who did my workshop. So uh, clearly I was doing something right, and that's why I carried on with it and and when we went into lockdown 
I took them on in the workshops, and again, they're they're doing incredibly well. So it's uh, yeah, it's and I enjoy it. I, I used to be a teacher years and years ago, and yeah. it's nice to combine both things. So if I would, I don't expect you to give me a whole uh, lesson because I'm not paying you. But if I wanted to go home tonight and sit on my laptop and start writing a sitcom, I obviously need something before I start writing, don't I? I need to. I guess you need to have the idea, need to put your characters together before you start writing words for them. Yeah, what a lot of people do, the main problem a lot of people have is that they start just writing sitcoms. Hmm. That's what they start doing. They start writing straight away without putting down the the base for it. So you have to have a situation, you have to have characters, you have to have your plot outline, and when you've got all that, that's when you go to dialogue, not before that. If you start writing what they're saying from the beginning, it's all going to fall apart. It's, it's like building a house. You have to have good, strong, solid foundations, and yeah. you build up from there. So good situation, good characters, put them in good storylines, and then start writing the dialogue. Did the old sitcoms... That's, uh, £85, uh, Actually, it's in the post. Did the old sitcoms of the, the, the 70s, the, the likes of Fawlty Towers and Steptoe and Son, do they still, in your eyes, um, stand up? Is Fawlty Towers still That's one of the that, best? Yeah, my, my kids have, have access to, you know, every sitcom ever made yeah. with all the, the mediums that we have, and they will go back to Fawlty Towers, which is incredible, really, considering they're only, what, 12, 13 episodes? 12, it. yeah. Um, it, it, well, it's just, it's incredible. that What, what it is, it's, it's adults acting like children, and that's, you know, there's nothing funnier than that. Yeah. The wonderful Tanita Tickerum for your eighth choice. Tell us about Twisting My Sobriety. This is one of the songs, there's no reason for it, other than I think it's a fantastic track. And when I first heard it, it, it just, I, I loved it, absolutely loved it. And it's one of the ones I listen to on a regular basis. Just puts me in a good mood. Look, my eyes are just holograms. Look, your love has drawn red from my hands. From my hands, you know you'll never be. What's the Edinburgh Festival like to work? I presume great fun and at the same time hard work. Oh God, it is such hard work. You are you're on adrenaline for for just under four weeks. The number of comedians that are ill after Edinburgh, they're fine all the way through. Come back home under ill for two weeks because yeah. you're you're constantly on. And then there's late nights, and you know people socialise, and there's there's drinking, and there's all that aspect. There's that fun aspect of it. But the fact, and I know you're only performing sometimes. My last festival, I actually did uh, two solo shows. So I did two hours a day. So I know generally you're only performing for an hour a day. But there's so much work going into it, getting PR, getting people to come along and see it, not knowing how many people are going to turn up. It's a lot of physical and mental pressure. But the rewards can be great. Can it? Yeah. Can it be a springboard for young comedians? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of comedians I know used it to, to launch their careers. Jimmy Carr, for example, had a when I first met him, first gigged with him, he had a plan. He had an absolute plan what he was going to do over the next couple of years. One of them was to do the Edinburgh Festival two or three times and then get his own TV show. Hmm. Michael McIntyre, the same thing. So, yeah, it's an incredible, it can be an incredible springboard. But nowadays there are so many comedians. And it can cost you, you know, I know people that, that still owe £12,000 from doing Edinburgh because yeah. they haven't been able to pay it off. You know, it's, it's phenomenally expensive. Yeah. Tell me about your penultimate choice, Bennett. Elvis Presley versus JXL and a little less conversation. As I said, my mum uh, is a big Elvis Presley fan, still knows his uh, army number off by heart. <laughs> okay. Um, she got it I, tattooed on her I, arm. Yeah, I know. It's very, very odd. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've never asked. But she, yes, yeah, so she used to go and see all the films, and we've got all the, the LPs at home. And, and I love a lot of Elvis tracks. But this particular Elvis track is one that I used as a piece of music to go on stage to when I was doing stand-up. I just thought it's a good epic track. And also the irony of the title, A Little Less Conversation, where you're about to do stand-up. A little less conversation, a little more action, your tenth and final choice, Bennett, on Music Was My First Love, is from The Monkees. Tell me about this particular one that you've chosen. I loved The Monkees when I was growing up. I, I loved the TV show. I, just Everything about it was just so much... It was just so much fun, and I saw all the episodes over and over again. And this is just one of my favourite Monkees tracks. Also, I think of myself as a daydream believer, still wondering what I'm going to do with my career when I eventually get around to deciding what I want to be. So <laughs> this... This thing really resonates with me, so it's one of my faves. And when you look back at your career so far, is there one thing that you're most proud of? Ooh, that's a very good question. I, I think I'm proud of the fact that I've made a living from making other people laugh. I think it's a it's a lovely feeling to know that I've you know managed to feed and, and clothe my kids. It's like the other day, actually, my son said to me, he went, you know, you're not very funny. And I pointed at his clothes and at his PlayStation and at other things. If that wasn't funny, <laughs> you wouldn't have any of these. And what's the... Uh, I think making people laugh. Love. Yeah, and in as we sit here in November 2020, what's the immediate future for Bennett, Aaron? Oh, I, I don't know. I want to carry on. I'm missing gigging. I'm missing doing them live. You know, doing them on Zoom is, is just not as much fun no. uh, obviously so I miss the live gigs I, I'm looking forward to going back on stage I'm looking back looking forward to not having to wear a mask and I'm looking forward to being out there making people laugh and hopefully do my own sitcom I'm I'm in a, a Radio 4 sitcom called Alone which has just with, been uh, commissioned again it's yet just been recommissioned for third series and it's probably my favourite acting job ever i absolutely love it i'm so pleased we're doing a third series and i'm hoping i'm hoping that we'll be able to do this uh, again in front of a live audience as we did last time because it sells out two to three hundred people every time and it's it's a wonderful feeling so yeah, i'm looking forward to that well i'm hoping to put on my tombstone that uh, in 1980 at the age of 14 i appeared on stage with the legendary bennett aaron <laughs> It might not have been a legendary sketch that we did, but it was legendary Bennett Aaron. It has been a pleasure to catch up with you again, Bennett. Uh, you too, Andrew, and, and I still can't get over the, the memory you have. But, uh, yeah, we did, we did work together on stage that, yes. that many years ago. And yeah, maybe, maybe that was it. Maybe that was, you, were, you were the catalyst that got me to stand up. So thank you. That would be a great quote on the, front, on the back cover of my autobiography. And give my best to your brother. Uh, I, I will do the funniest state agent I'll possibly <laughs> Cheers, Bennett. Thank you very much. Take care. Listening to Music Was My First Love on Radio Glamorgan, where Bennett Aaron has been choosing 10 of his favourite tracks. I'm Andrew Wolfe, and join me again soon when someone else chooses 10 of their favourite tracks on another edition of Music Was My First Love. Music of the future.